Uh, we've been in this uh, series of, where we're asking the question, why do we do what we do when we gather? You know, and so we've looked at some of these, these questions like, why do we pray and do prayer ministry as we gather as a church? Why do we sing? Uh, why do we preach and teach and, and listen to scripture? Those kind of things. And today, we are going to look at why we invite people to give on Sunday mornings. I've uh, shared with you before as I, I, I grew up going to church. You know, church was kind of in my blood. And there were things that just happened every week that were just part of what we did. I didn't question it. Every Sunday, my church would take an offering. Somebody would pray a prayer, and then they had ushers, and they would pass offering plates. Here at Hillside, we used to pass offering bags, which was a big, big move for me, but actually, they'd pass these plates, and actually, when you think about it, it's actually kind of one of the stranger things we did as a church, we do as a church, passing the plate. And uh, people would give. Sometimes they would, you know, put money in an envelope and give, a check or something, and other times they'd drop in coins or bills. I once saw a kid put in a Kit Kat bar <laughs> that I thought maybe I should take out of the offering plate just to help. My, my parents would give. This was something I could tell that was really important to them, and I would give. Of course, I never gave my own money. I only gave the money that my parents gave me, and they would put like... Uh, Back in the day, 50 cents was a lot of money. They'd give me a couple quarters, and I would put a couple quarters in the offering, and I would do that, for the most part, cheerfully. Sometimes I'd be thinking about how much candy 50 cents would buy. Um, when I was 17, I gave my life to Jesus, and I started following him. And not right away, but uh, before too long, I began feeling like when the offering plate was passed that I should give. And I would give a few dollars in the offering, just a little token of the money that I was earning in my minimum wage job at a retail store. Eventually, I heard that I was supposed to give or should give 10% of my income to the church. And strange as it was, I started doing it. And there was something good about this simple act, this act of giving week after week. And I got to say, I liked it. I liked the habit of giving. And then I met Angel, and uh, we both came into our marriage with both of these habits kind of separately cultivated. I think she was a little bit more radical than me. She once tithed, don donated 10% of a loan she got from the government, and I thought, that's not income, that's debt, but that's another story. <laughs> she gave on her government loan, and God blessed her. I mean, I, there's, that's a great long story. We won't get there, but... We started marriage giving 10%, but where God did a work in us every year where we try to grow in generosity. In the last couple of years, we had a building project, as many of you know here at the church, where we were challenged, along with many of you, to give sacrificially and generously, and Angel and I and our family, we stretched and we gave beyond what we thought we could possibly give. Chris Price uh, at the Way Church inspired some of this message, and he talks about this, how in his own journey of learning to give, how he learned two lessons. These two lessons are this. First of all, generosity is bigger than money. It's bigger than money. Some are generous with their homes, with the spaces that they have. They, they don't think twice about hosting a life group or having people in their home for a meal or for coffee or, or dessert. They're just generous with their homes. 
Uh, or there can be generosity with time. This can look like showing up for people, coaching teams, uh, shoveling snow for a neighbor, you know, volunteering at church or at work or elsewhere. And really, when you think about it, time is our most you know, valuable commodity because you cannot earn any more. And some are so generous with their time. And some are generous with their words. They're just always looking for ways to encourage others, you know, through text or emails or notes or cards. And they just bring light to the world through their positive encouragement to others. It's such a good gift. I think most people in our world are affirmation starved. So I'm grateful for those who are generous with their words. Some are generous with their possessions, you know, always willing to to lend stuff to other people. Maybe sometimes not even getting it back. Um, I think of the many books that people have borrowed from my bookshelf in the church office that I have yet to receive. That's just a little reminder to some of you. You you know who you are. N.T. Wright, give him back, please. A friend of mine uh, knew that I needed a vehicle a, a few months ago, and he lent me his scooter for a week, which I turned into four weeks, and which I had hoped would turn into my ownership of the scooter. That did not happen. But some are generous with possessions. There are uh, so many ways to be generous. None of it should be overlooked. All of it should be celebrated because generosity is much bigger than money. But secondly, generosity, when it comes to money, can be scary. Uh, I'd say on one hand, generosity is simply a widely held value. If you were asked the question, do you want to be generous with your money or do you want to be stingy, how would you respond? You'd probably say generous or maybe you'd say, is there a third option? Um, We want to be thought of as generous, as a value. Generosity is an easy value to embrace, but as a practice, it's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? It can feel risky to give away money. What if, you know, I give and I don't have enough? What if I lose my job? What if my rent is raised? What, what happens when the economy tanks? What, what if interest rates rise? For many right now, I think in this day that we're in right now, money feels just a little scarcer. And it's easy for us to live in fear of not having enough, uh, in fear of tough times. And so giving money away can be scary. So to summarize, generosity is bigger than money, and generosity, when it comes to money, can be scary. And yet God invites us to enter into a journey of growing in generosity as an act of faith and an act of trust. And so for the rest of the time this morning, I want to give you three reasons why we invite you to give to the local church every Sunday. First of all, we invite you to give because giving to God's work has been a part of worship throughout Scripture and history. In the Old Testament, there's the concept, as I mentioned already, the tithe. The word tithe means one-tenth in Hebrew. In Leviticus, the the Israelites are commanded to give a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So the Israelites were commanded to give a tenth of everything that they had to the Lord, all their income, whether it be grain or fruit or livestock. All of it was holy or set apart to God. That's what holy means. The Israelites couldn't tithe 5% or 7% of their income because a tithe always meant a tenth. Along with that, it was to be the first tenth of their income. It was to be given from the first of their harvest or from the best of their herd. It was never to be given kind of as the leftovers of what you had at the end of the day. As it says in Proverbs, 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And the idea here was that God was to be, was to be first in the hearts of his people, and this was expressed in the concept of first fruits, of putting him first, even with your finances. Now, Israel also gave more than a tithe. They actually gave three different tithes. If you're reading in these, the, the early five books of the Bible, it, it can get re really confusing. But one tithe supported the priests and the Levites. That's in Numbers 18. Another to provide for sacred festivals each year. That was Deuteronomy 12 and 14. And a third tithe was given to support the poor, orphans, and widows. That's Deuteronomy 14 and 26. The priestly tithe and the festival tithe were to be given annually, and the, the tithe to support the poor was collected every three years. All in all, scholars estimate that the Israelites were commanded to give somewhere between 20 and 25% of their wealth. So here's what we notice in the Old Testament. The tithe gave practical expression to the truth expressed in Psalm 24, where it says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's. God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. Who is the owner? God is. Um, we can get confused about this. Uh, some time ago, I read something in a theological journal called Reader's Digest. Um, <laughs> A traveler between flights at an airport went to a lounge and bought a small packet of cookies. And she sat down and began reading a newspaper. And gradually she became aware that a rustling noise was coming from behind her paper. She was shocked to see a neatly dressed man helping himself to her cookies. <laughs> Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over and took a cookie herself. A minute or two passed and, and there came more rustling. He was helping himself to another one of her cookies. So then she grabbed another one. And this went on until they were down to the last cookie, which the man broke into. He pushed half across to her. He ate the other half and left. She was still fuming about this sometime later when her flight was announced. She opened her handbag to get her ticket. And to her shock and embarrassment, there she found her pack of unopened cookies. <laughs> Not only had he not been eating her cookies, she had been eating his cookies. <laughs> What's the point? Well, how I deal with these cookies depends a lot on whose I think those cookies are. And Scripture is really clear on this. Everything we have is God's. God provides all that we have as an unearned, undeserved gift. In this sense, God was never asking the Israelites to give 10 or 20% of their wealth. Instead, God was allowing them to keep 80 to 90% of his wealth. Talk about a reframe. Israel had never been owners. They, they'd always been stewards. You know, the, the question was not what should we do with our wealth. It was what should we do with God's wealth? And this lesson was reinforced Year after year, generation after generation, through the command of the tithe, giving back to God what already belongs to him. Listen to what David says in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, who am I, O oh God, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we only have given 
what comes from your hand. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, the God of our fathers, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. David's perspective on giving? We're only giving back to you, God, what you've given to us. And keep the desire for generosity always in the hearts of your people. What a prayer. The the tithe, I would say, ingrained in God's people a a posture of of generosity toward the work of God in in the tabernacle and in the priesthood and in the temple, as well as towards those who are poor and vulnerable like the orphan and the widow. So that was the Old Testament. Followers of Jesus are under the new covenant instituted through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And tithing is never mentioned in the New Testament when believers are urged to give. Jesus mentions not neglecting tithing in a debate with the Pharisees, but that's it. Giving gets mentioned a lot, but but not tithing. Now that's likely because tithing was tied to the Old Testament law, the priesthood and the land. The, The ceremonial law is now fulfilled in Jesus. The temple is a people who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, not a building. And the priesthood includes all believers now, and kind of the land drops off of the radar because it was a foreshadow of the new heaven and the new earth, and God's people are from every tribe and tongue and nation of the world now. But what we do discover in the New Testament is followers of Jesus are urged to be radically generous people. People who, like the Israelites, support the work of ministry, which includes preaching the gospel, building the local church, supporting ministers, giving to the poor, and responding to needs around them when possible. As Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14, he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. In addition, uh, giving was meant to be done cheerfully with an eye to God's generosity and God's provision. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. By the way, that's a principle straight from Jesus where he says, when you give, it will be given to you. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But Paul goes on to say, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. How? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. By the way, if you haven't ever started giving towards God's work before, I would encourage you to live there for a bit. Like, like take that scripture and just you know, like, like rest in those promises that Jesus, Jesus offers there. Also, giving was a response to the gospel in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He says, you know the grace of Jesus. God in Jesus became so very poor. He left heaven, came to earth. Uh, Even the way he lived on earth, he lived in poverty. But he became poor so we might be rich. And it's just generous, extravagant 
grace on behalf of God. If God has been so generous to us, how can we not also be generous to others, even those who haven't earned it or deserve it? So, to summarize, the New Testament does not focus on a specific amount, but on meeting needs, especially towards the poor. This sometimes included far more than the Old Testament tithe. Sometimes people sold houses and they gave away the money to the poor. Sometimes people would give away a huge amount of their wealth after having an encounter with Jesus. I think of Zacchaeus, the wealthy tax collector, after an encounter with Jesus in his home, he says, I'm giving away half of all I own to the poor, to God's kingdom. Jesus invited another rich guy to give away all that he had. Another time, he praised a poor widow who gave away two cents. All this to say the generosity the New Testament calls for can't be dictated by a percent. For some people, 10% is way too little. For others, 10% is a huge, scary stretch. As my friend Chris says, he says, the grid of prayerful discernment is this. What can I give joyfully? What can I give sacrificially? What can I give in response to all God has done for me? What can I give as an act of worship to the God who gave it all for me on the cross? Back to the story in Mark 12, one of my favorites. It's uh, about the widow who had two pennies. Let me read it to you, so if you haven't remembered it recently. It's in Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. What a story. <laughs> she gave out of her poverty. Her, her generosity meant that she had to trust God to provide her very next meal. And Jesus tells his disciples that the poor widow's the poor widow put in more than the rich. Technically, they gave more. Unless to Jesus, more has nothing to do with amount. More is the amount of love. More is the amount of trust. More is the, the amount of sacrifice. And Jesus praises this widow. I've seen this. I, I've seen Jesus smile on somebody's offering before. When we, uh, as a church, worked in Kenya, I got exposed firsthand to Christians who were desperately poor. We were in this rural area, and we were working with peasant farmers, often struggling with drought and poor living conditions. And yet, they were so generous, and they had such joy about it. And they worshipped in this, uh, this mud church. I wish I could take you there. In, in my mind, I can see it as if I was there yesterday. Uh, just mud and, and thatch. Uh, years later, Hillside was able to buy them a new church. We built a, a church of wood and, and with a tin roof that is standing and going strong to this day. But I remember worshiping there, and you should have seen how they did offerings on Sunday morning. Some of you who are from Africa have seen this. It's right out of the scripture. These poor widows who were giving all they had, and they'd march up to the front with their offering up, and they were dancing. They were dancing. 
And they're giving thanks to the Lord, and they put their offering in with great, great joy. More is not always the amount of money. It's the amount of joy. It's the amount of, of trust. It's the amount of love. We invite you to, to give because God's people, young and old and rich and poor, have given all throughout history. Second, we invite you to give because giving reveals and reinforces where our treasure is truly found. Jesus said this to his followers, followers, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus tells us really clearly here to store up treasures in heaven. Pay it forward to heaven. Our, our treasure in heaven, it, ultimately, you boil it down, it's the person of Jesus himself. He's the treasure. But the big surprise is, actually, as we come to faith and come to Christ, and we, as we seek to make Jesus our treasure, we find and discover that we are indeed God's treasure. And that's enough. That's treasure enough. It's an amazing discovery. I shared a few weeks ago when we were talking about prayer ministry how I was up for prayer ministry at, uh, at the church we were attending at the time. And I responded at the front and just found myself weeping before God. Just crying, ugly crying. It was messy. It was awful. And as I said earlier, I was there at Portland again last weekend and I mentioned to a hillsider that I, I was doing this that later this week, and uh, they had a facetious smile on their face, this hillsider did, and said, so, did you cry at the conference? Like, did you cry again? And I'm like, what a, what a question. And I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> I went up to the front again this, this last weekend, last Sunday, because God was doing something in me. And uh, you know, as I was standing there, and I uh, was waiting for someone to come and pray for me. There was a big crowd at the front, and I'm standing there, and in a few short moments, I got to tell you, I had a mild existential crisis. <laughs> I had a word that kind of came into my mind, described how I felt in that moment, and the, the word was, because it seemed like everybody was receiving prayer. I'd keep glancing up, and, and nobody was coming to me, and I, the word came was overlooked. And, and and where my mind went, and, and it was, I think it was something God was doing in me, but I was thinking about my lifetime, and I was thinking about all the moments in my life where I felt exactly that, where I felt overlooked, where I felt on the margins, where I felt like not seen, on the outside looking in, not noticed, not treasured. But you know what I heard in those moments? I heard again the whisper of God speak right into there. It was better than any prayer that could have been prayed for me. I heard him say, Derwin, you have never been overlooked. I've always seen you. I've always been watching. I've always noticed. I've loved you. I treasure you, Derwin. And that was when the floods came and I began weeping again. And then, of course, everybody comes to pray for the weeping guy. So I had lots of prayer. I was not overlooked any longer. But that is the good news of Jesus, is that in him, I am treasure enough. I'm treasured by God Almighty. This means I, I don't have to pursue recognition. 
or status or wealth or a bigger, better anything, a better, bigger, better car or a bigger, better house or job. I'm treasure enough and I can be content in that. I can rest in that knowledge. We make Jesus our treasure out of response to him making us his. We were chosen. We were bought with a price. We were loved to the cross and back. And I, and I want to, you to know this this morning because I know so many have shared that very feeling. Maybe it's just the human condition of feeling overlooked. You felt that. You've known that. I want you to know the Lord treasures you. As Peter says in his first letter, he says, you are God's treasured possession. And we make Jesus our treasure because he first made us his. And, and that love, nothing can separate us from it. Nothing. It, it, it's lasting. We're secure. But treasure on earth, I mean, haven't you found this already? It's short-lived. Some of you are old. Think back. Some of you are really old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Darlene, I'm not, I wasn't thinking of you. You're so young. For those of you who are older, can you think back for a moment to your first car? What's your first car doing? Those of you who are 80 and above, what's your first car doing now? I think of, uh, of how um, fickle life is. The economy goes up, it goes down. Um, our, our bank accounts go up or go down. It, it, we get tossed and turned. If our eyes are on that stuff, on the things we own, on our bank statement, it's so fickle. It can be gone in a moment. It doesn't last. And that can give birth to fear and anxiety. What if I lose this? As well as it can feed into a closed-fistedness about our life, holding on tightly to what we have. But as Jesus said, treasure on earth is vulnerable and it doesn't last, but treasure in heaven does. And where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Yesterday, um, we had such a an amazing goodbye to Eleanor Harms, one of our cherished members who went home to be with Jesus a while back, and she loved him, and she showed it with her life. And I heard story after story of how intentionally she lived. She and Al lived a very simple life. Uh, it turns out they both had a real acumen for business. They had rental homes, and they just had, had taken what they had, and, and multi God multiplied it. Uh, but they lived this really simple existence. You would never know that they had money because they were giving it away all the time. They were building wells in Uganda and, and just living this simple life so that they could actually give generously to their family and beyond. It was just beautiful, beautiful stories we heard yesterday. They've sowed into this church in all kinds of ways. She was storing up treasure in heaven. What a legacy she had. I really believe that when we invest in God's kingdom through a local church, through global outreach, to a ministry that serves and empowers the poor, or liberates sexually trafficked people, or trafficked people of any kind, the more our heart is invested in things that matter to the heart of Jesus. And the more we invest in things that reflect the heart of Jesus, the more our lives will naturally begin to reflect the character of Jesus. And so giving to the local church, giving to God's kingdom puts our treasure in the right place and hopefully moves our hearts towards our ultimate treasure in Jesus. Third, we invite you to give as a regular habit because giving is good for you. Jesus did say, he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. 
And so there's this joy we get from receiving, or giving, I should say. I'll, I'll never forget, um, I've told some of you this before, how taking my 10-year-old son to a Vancouver Giants game, and we went, back when it was a Pacific, Pacific Coliseum, we went downtown, and we went to McDonald's uh, ahead of time. And while we were going to McDonald's, we walked past a, a person, a street person who was asking for money, and we just kept on walking. But as we kept on walking, my 10-year-old son said to me, he says, Dad, can we get him something at McDonald's? I said, sure, I'm really happy to hear that coming from him. And so we went to McDonald's and we bought a, a gift card, a McDonald's gift card. And he was like, can I give it, Dad? Can I give it? It was like he was so excited to give it. My son took that gift card and we went out and we walked up to the man and, and my son gave this guy, this homeless man, this $5 gift card. And uh, I got to tell you, Neither he or I, my son or I, have any idea what happened at the Vancouver Giants game. But that story has lived on because I'll tell you, my son experienced the joy of giving. And it, it has shaped and formed. In fact, I, I look at that son and how God has, over time, shaped and formed a generous person through some of those experiences of stepping out and giving. You see, regular giving is this formative practice. It forms you into the person you are. Generosity is me investing in the type of person I want to be. Generosity is not just an investment into others. It is an investment into who I want to be in the world and what I want to be about. Now, to be clear, there's a religious way to give that is not good for us. If we good to give to get, or if we give to put God in our debt, if we give to feel superiority towards others, if we give to manipulate, if we give to kind of prop up our self-righteousness, that's religious giving, and it is not good for us. But joyful, habitual giving is good for us. It creates joy. It's, it's true. Money can't buy happiness, but money can create happiness if you give it away. There's this joy of participating in what God's doing in the world. I think about this church, and, and I think of over the years, we've seen Jesus finding people, people finding community, people encountering God's love for the first time, people coming back to church, hearts being healed, people being transformed, experiencing all that God wants for them. We've seen big and small acts of service. We've seen new Canadians enfolded into our family We've seen refugees sponsored. We've seen hungry people fed week after week right off of this property. We've seen Jesus, news of him being taken all over the world. That, there's so much joy in that. I think of the marriage course or the alpha course and well-resourced life groups and children's ministry and youth ministry and mentoring young adults. And we do all of this together and it's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. If you're committed to this church, we invite you to give to this church because giving is good for you. It blesses God and it expands and grows the beauty of his kingdom both here locally and beyond. Friends, in the end, we cannot serve God and money. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. And the best way to get money out of our hearts is to give it out of our hands and see what God does because it is more blessed to give than receive. 